0: It was very fulfilling to see that I could help a club player not only become a better player but also become fitter or healthier. Then you start being part of uh, someone's life, you become somebody
1: very important to this person hello and welcome to tennis pal chronicles the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis I'm your host Philip Kim also known as the director of tennis for the city of Azusa in sunny Southern California
2: hey everyone Valerie Garcia I'm also in sunny Southern California, and I'm just a crazy tennis fanatic.
1: We're excited that this is our second podcast, and we're gonna be continuing our interview with Coach Paolo Hexel. In part two, we hear how Coach Hexel evolves from college tennis to coaching professionals and serious juniors on the tour. He moves from the University of Tennessee at Martin to Florida, working with famous Miami Dolphins football coach, Don Shula. And he eventually becomes the director of tennis at the Beverly Hills Country Club. In this episode, we also have more fan favorite reports recapping the U.S. Open action, including some new reports from fans of Rafa Nadal and Andy Murray. And stay tuned to the end to hear how you can win a free set of tennis strings.
2: So, Philip, I want to let you know there's this app I just downloaded. It's on my phone. I have it on my homepage on the first page because it's the most important app I have the tennis pal app have you heard of it
1: it's not the u.s open app
2: you know what i have that one on the first page too it's a close second but it's not it's not my number one my number one is where i find my other tennis people the ones that actually respond and talk back to me because roger's still not returning my calls (laughs) so i'd love to let everyone know they can go download the tennis pal app it's available on iphone and android platforms It's an awesome place to exchange tennis news information. And you can also meet other amazing tennis fans. I love it. I I realize it has other features as well that I'm I'm not using. Maybe you can tell me about.
1: Well, I like the videos that they show. They have instructional videos. And there's like a whole series on volleying and overheads right now that's really helpful. So I think that's great.
2: And you've seen me play. I really need those videos.
1: I do too. (laughs) I do too. We need coach Palo hexel to yes give us some private lessons
2: coach Palo are you listening <laughs> come help me yeah and then
1: i also post information about the podcast and stuff so you can actually post your own uh, personal content there and connect with tennis players all over the united states too so that's a lot of fun oh yes yeah so people can download the app if they do it for our show just use the code word podcast when they sign up for the app and if you do that you get one month free premium access.
2: You heard him everyone. Whip out your phone, go to your app store, download Tennis Pal app. This is your your Pal Val telling you that. My name rhymes with it for a reason. <laughs>
1: your Pal Val.
2: I am Pal Val. So go to Tennis Pal, <laughs> download it and find some Tennis Pals. That's great. Well not only
1: are we doing the Tennis Pal giveaway and we thank Tennis Pal for being our sponsor, but they can also stay tuned to the end of the podcast where we're going to do another giveaway. I can't
2: wait. I love giveaways.
1: Yeah. I'm excited about doing product reviews, too, because I love anything tennis-related. So I'm excited that we're going to be doing giveaways and product reviews soon as well. This is our second podcast, and we're going to be continuing our interview with Coach Paolo Hexel. Wasn't it great to meet him last time?
2: Yes. Paolo was really amazing. It was so fascinating to hear about someone coming up, you know, and just hearing the stories
1: very inspirational i love that he came from brazilian tennis it was a struggle he had to go to all of these events by himself hours and hours away sometimes different countries he would travel with uh, i guess a crew of kids out of that he was talented enough to earn a division one college scholarship so i think it's a fascinating journey and i'm very excited to share part two Let's listen to Coach Paolo Hexel. So what was the level like at Futures ITF versus college-level tennis? Good question. I was extremely
0: surprised with the
1: high level
0: of Division I tennis that I found once I moved here. Extremely surprised. I did not know it was going to be this high of a level. Uh, I knew it was going to be a high level, but I would say that most of the Division One players that you have that you have to play against as a division 1 player of course are players that can do any damage on futures which is the entry level of professional tournaments and challenger events they can win some matches so it's a pretty high level yeah and here in the US some of them have made professional as such as Isner, Steve Johnson coming from USC and
2: Kevin Anderson.
0: Kevin Anderson, I think he played for Illinois, that's it. That's
2: amazing.
0: Exactly, very amazing. So, yes, so when he was, for example, Kevin Anderson, when he was at 20 years old, he was playing college tennis and the talent was there. It's the same guy, the same guy that got to a Wimbledon final. Uh, So the talent is there. Yeah, they are very talented. I'm
1: very excited about Mackenzie McDonald, who came from UCLA and was NCAA champion. And he has just been doing so well. I think he just lost a heartbreaker to Andy Murray. He's just playing out of his mind right now. So it's really exciting. So it's great to hear that from you, college level tennis is really high. And I wish we would get a lot more love for college level tennis because it is amazing games, amazing points and talent.
0: Yes, that's correct. And especially nowadays, all these colleges, they, they recruit players from all over the world just to get more competitive and to win more. It basically became an international circuit, uh, the college division one circuit. The level is extremely high and a lot of players they use as a training ground to maybe even after they graduate or uh, to try the pro circuit again when they are a little more mature a little more physically mature, not only mentally, in order to adapt and withstand the professional circuit, which is very heavy. Uh, so physically and mentally, it's very tough as a 17, 18-year-old to handle traveling to different countries every week, being by yourself, uh, sleeping in hotels, eating out every day. But At least you graduate from college, maybe mentally, and even as a person, you're a little more mature and uh, you are a little more
1: ready to face the challenges of the professional circuit. I've often heard that uh, one of the biggest perks of college-level tennis is team tennis, that you're actually playing on a team and you're, you, you've got a lot of guys that have your back. How was that for you, coming out of being on the road all by yourself for so long?
0: That's a great point. That's a great point. It was really cool because we, uh, our sport is lonely. It's very lonely, as everybody knows. A lot of... Uh, egos and uh you have to have so much or at least show so much confidence on whatever kind of competition you're in whether it's a local ladies league or or a local tournament or your club tournament or your club ladder you want to show that confidence and so it's a very lonely sport as we know but college tennis does give you a really cool feeling of playing as a team Uh, you do become a family with your teammates. I talked to, you know, my teammates from, from school, from college up to this point, and they are in England, they are in Australia, they are, they are in South Africa, all different parts of the world, and we're still connected. So it's, it's really, really cool, you know, to be part of a team after pretty much your whole life, not having that experience so it was really really cool
1: that's great are any of those players still playing tennis like you i mean
0: yes yes a lot of them they are still playing tennis some of them play the professional tour some of them stopped right away and went to their you know corporate world or business career or their lawyers and doctors but after a few years not playing the sport they went back and now they're playing tennis again. You know, they see themselves playing tennis again, they, they miss the social part of it, so they join clubs, they join leagues, they travel uh, around their countries playing tournaments there just for fun, just to, to keep playing
1: our sport, which is which is amazing. And that's what it is, right? It's Tennis Passion. That's what this podcast is all about, and that's why we're interviewing you. We're talking again with Coach Paulo Hexel, and he has been sharing his story coming all the way from Brazil, and now he is in America. He's just graduated from college, uh, played at the D1 level. What's next after college? What happens? What do you decide to do with your life?
0: All right, so after college, I I had the opportunity to become the assistant coach at the same university, pretty much cover my graduate school. I never back then I never thought about coaching tennis. I always loved playing tennis. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Go to graduate school, be the assistant coach of of the team. So I did that. And while uh, being the assistant coach there, I started to really enjoy coaching. I didn't know there was a passion, but I think that's when like some sparks started to happen. And I'm and i started to enjoy coaching so after graduate school i had the opportunity to travel with a few professional tennis players and coach them on the road for this tennis academy so i decided to hey might as well go for it before i start working as an economist or as a as a financial advisor at a company you know so might as well try that now while i'm young and let's see if i like if i don't i have my degree to rely on. But hey, I started coaching on the road. I coached the professional tour for a while. That's when actually I, I really fell in love with coaching and spending time, more time on the tennis court to pass my passion of the game to, to
1: other people. Were you coaching anyone that named any names that we might recognize? Mm,
0: not really. I coach a lot of entry-level players. I helped some more than 100 players to get Division I college scholarships. There was one... UCLA player that I helped for a short period, her name was Robin Anderson, so I coached her for a while, you guys here in in LA might know her, and a lot of other players that did well later on on the professional circuit, but no top 10 in the world that we might see on TV or anything like that, so I did that for a long time, I traveled the, the, the world pretty much coaching a lot, and it was very fulfilling.
1: It seems like top 10 coaching is a very closed circle because it's so funny how you'll see like Maria's uh, coach is now uh, Angelique's coach. And you know, so they're all like connected to each other. They just kind of make the circle. It must be hard to break into that. It's very hard. It's very hard to break into that.
0: It's extremely stressful position. Uh, like any other position as a head coach of a of a big NFL team or a, a big soccer team or or a big college football team it's it's stressful it's based on results and as you know in like in any sport most likely if a player is not winning it's usually the coach's fault right <laughs> so yes even though even if it's not the coach's fault right it's always the coach's it's always the coach's fault exactly so it's it's a very tough uh position to be in And once you get into that that circle, more players, more top players get to find out about you. Opens a lot of doors to work with more top
1: players. Then you made a transition into working with clubs. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes, after coaching a lot of professional players uh, on the road, I decided to settle down a little bit because the traveling takes a toll on you. Um, You're pretty much traveling for six, seven weeks, uh, you're on the road. And then you come home for a week or 10 days and you're still working on the tennis court with your players and then you're on the road again. So you just keep travel, travel, travel. So I, uh, I was kind of ready to settle a little bit. So I started uh, my academy with uh, a friend of mine that I knew from Australia. Together we opened a tennis academy in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. It was called back then International Academy of Tennis. Uh, So we had kids from all over the world coming down and training with us. And at the same time, while we were training all these junior players at our academy, we were uh, managing the tennis operations of the resort. It was called Hilton Head Island Beach and Tennis Resort. So that was a great experience to start getting to know how to manage a tennis facility, tennis operations, and the whole business aspect of it, not only on the tennis court. So that's how I started managing resorts
1: wow that's a huge transition and Mm -hmm. i think uh what a wonderful opportunity
0: yeah it was a big big opportunity we were there for for many years for four or five years it was very successful we had kids coming from uh, different parts of the world such as japan we had a lot of japanese players coming to us kids from australia as well from south america brazilian players That's when I had the opportunity to work with a lot of top juniors. And our promise was that we would help them to get into uh, Division I college. So, you know, I would say 99% of all the kids that we coached there, they got a college scholarship. We veered them in the right direction on how to get into the the Division I college world. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very satisfying and it was a very different Feeling of working with junior players and helping them to get to that level.
1: And are you married at this time now? Uh do you have kids?
0: Back then I was not. So I was still I was still single, so I was still able to put a lot of time and effort into the tennis academy, into the, the resort, the tennis facilities, and and there was still a lot of traveling involved. Not as much as before, but still a lot of traveling before. So that's why. Probably didn't even have the chance to settle down, uh, you know, <laughs> with a girlfriend back then or so forth. So I guess that's the thing about tennis players, too. You know, we have girlfriends, but we don't, you know, because they are saying, you know, oh, this guy travels way too much. I just can't do this, you know. So um, but anyways, you know, it's a, it's a different lifestyle. After Hilton Head, uh, we had the opportunity to move the operations of the Tennis Academy to Miami, And we were looking for uh, South Florida Uh, and the reason for that was, number one, um, we would be, uh, it would be easier to get to, logistically, our international players from Europe or Japan get to Miami and from South America. Uh, Second, um, Florida has a pretty solid uh, chapter or pretty solid uh, section in terms of uh, tournaments a lot of international players, a lot of international uh, um, tennis academies there um, so the competition there is really high, uh, the level is very high, so it, when you are trying to develop uh, tennis players that's what you're looking for, uh, just find great players for your players to play against or with uh, just down the road. So it made more sense for us to change the operations down to Miami. Um, So that's when we moved the operations out to Miami uh, to a club called uh, Shula's Athletic Club from Don Shula. I don't know if you guys know the famous uh, football head coach. Um, So uh, we moved the operations there and it was very successful. We ran a pretty big operation there. uh, And also we took care of all the members with leagues and clinics and events at the club for all the adults. Uh, and then we did a lot of grassroots programs there with the little kids and of course we had the whole Academy side of things happening there so it was it was busy.
1: So is this the first time you've kind of intersected with uh, club players like us? <laughs> that's
0: correct that's when I started to yeah to get into now the club playing, yes, the adults, the, the the ladies leagues, you know, that they train in the morning, all the ladies clinics in the morning, um, and the, the, the ladies leagues, and then we have all, you know, we had all the, the 3.5 USDA leagues, the 4.0s and the 4.5s, uh, mixed leagues, men's leagues, so then yes, we had all of that happening at the club, Um, so yeah, it was very exciting to enter that world, uh, and see that, um, um, in a certain way here in the U.S., uh, it's well-organized. It's well-organized. There's plenty of, uh, leagues and plenty of tournaments to, to, to be part of. And, uh, and no matter what level
1: you play. So I'm so interested to hear, um, your take on club level players. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all suck, but so club, (laughs) club level players, I mean, you came from, you know, all of this really intense professional Mm -hmm. level and now you're trying to encourage people, you know, who are really just weekend warriors, uh, I mean, what, do you, what do you got to say to them? How can you help them? You know What was the biggest change that you saw? And it must have required a ton of patience too, I think.
0: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And then I started to develop some skills that I didn't know I had, which was the patience, of course. You know? and, uh, but then it was very fulfilling to see that uh, I could help a club player not only become a better player, but also become fitter. Or healthier, and also get to meet more people. Uh, so then you start being part of uh, someone's life, and you're part. Of, you become somebody m- very important to this person, uh, which is a member of the club, or uh, or even like a. Uh, a lady that is playing a league and she wants better results but then she finds out that hey, I'm getting fitter, I'm losing weight, I'm meeting some some different ladies that we can get together on Friday nights and have, you know, a couple of glasses of wine. So um, so it started, to, as you said, it started to open this whole new world for me because before then, as we've mentioned before, uh, right here on the podcast, uh, it was all based on results and better, making better players and the competitive world. So it opened a different uh, view for me as a coach and trying to improve lives instead of just results. Yeah.
1: Wow, that's a great spin! I would not have been as positive as that <laughs> but that was great. I, I love that you're so encouraging and I can see how you're a really great coach. How does all of this tie into um, tennis pal because uh, the reason that we met was because of tennis pal
0: sure um uh, as just to make a long story short after my in Miami, I met my current wife uh as you can see, I was a lot more settled, just I was just you know the tennis director at this place. I lived at the club, pretty much, so I was very like in Miami. You know, so that was a good time to settle, also personally. So I got married there, and she's from Miami. She's a tennis player. She play she play high school level. Uh, she can she can play okay tennis. You know, <laughs> uh, I always make fun of her. Forehand grip that is like a super Western, but you know, it, it's all good. We don't, we don't play much together because she is afraid that I'm going to start picking on her strokes a little bit, you know, but, uh, it, it's fun. It's all fun. But yeah, so, and then, um, we, um, as I transitioned to all the, 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 club world, I had the opportunity to, to come to, the, to L.A and uh, I had a job opportunity here to be the tennis director at the Beverly Hills Country Club. Uh, So I took that position and also my wife, she is in the advertising world uh, industry. So um, you guys, I don't know, I'm not sure if everybody knows, but LA is a big hub for the advertising world. It's either LA or New York in the US. So we both had the opportunities to move to LA, so I moved to L.A. and uh, here I was fortunate enough to, uh, to meet the Tennis spell gurus, uh, Holly Amrani, who, who is the, the head of the, the headmaster of, uh, of the whole Tennis spell concept. I met her here uh, through tennis and, uh, and um, we've talked a lot and uh, I've been just fortunate enough to, to be able to be part of it. And and share a little bit of my my little expertise in tennis with some videos, uh, this podcast that we're
1: doing, and try to uh, expand the the app. Mm-hmm. And how great is it to have a digital age where tennis players can actually find them find each other on an app where before it was so tough.
0: It, it's tremendous. It's a super cool idea. Uh, and uh, us as tennis players, yes, you do find that uh, challenge uh, when you are special. If you're traveling, yes, absolutely, you find that challenge to, you know, traveling for business, you're going to San Francisco, you don't know anybody. You just, you know, search somebody uh, at your level of play uh, within a radius to find somebody and you can find a tennis court super close to you. Um, So if you want to, you will find somebody to play tennis. Um, So it really connects people. It's a social tool as well. Um, and not only if you're traveling, uh, a lot of times we do find a hard time to find people to play with uh, in your own hometown. Um, you know that there are tennis courts within 2-3 miles of your place or, or of your home, but some, a lot of times if you don't belong to a club, uh, it's difficult to find players. Uh, At your level if whether you are a beginner or intermediate or an advanced player. So it it does connect people uh, And uh, and it's really easy to use very user-friendly And as of now, I believe we have what 15 or 16,000 members. So it's uh, It's it's getting pretty big. So wherever you are, you will find somebody to play with.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I love what you said about going to Florida and having your players have a heavier competition. And just by being around that, it really increases your tennis because you're just forced to level up. And I think that uh, apps like Tennis Pal and uh, connecting with people who are uh, maybe a level up, not just the same people you always play with. You know exactly where they're going to hit the ball, how they hit the ball. But when you get to look at a different person's game, a different person's stroke, it just increases your game
0: absolutely increases your game increases your level of concentration as well as you said yes if you for example if you go to your local park or your local club and you always play the same pals uh every weekend yes you you get into bad habits uh of hitting the ball a certain way because you know the ball is coming a certain way um so uh yeah you get into that little box and uh, it's di- difficult to get out of it um, and to improve your game so it is fun to find different people to play with and that's what uh, our sport is all about you know find different people to play with and challenge yourself to get out there play someone different meet somebody new and the least is going to happen is that maybe hey you you're going to sweat and uh,
1: you make a new friend <laughs> that's so great yeah. Uh, You sound like an incredible coach, uh, very inspirational. I think tennis in general is a great metaphor for life as well. Mm -hmm. What has tennis meant to you in your life? It seems like it's given you so much.
0: Yes, it has given me everything. Yeah, absolutely. It opens so many doors. It's a sport that does open doors as it happened to me, even though I didn't reach great professional level or anything like that. It opened scholarship to go to college. It moved me out of my continent, you know? It moved me out of my country. It uh, allowed me to meet different people, and also it allowed me to even help people to get fitter, healthier, to reach their own best at the sport, whether they were junior players, adults. Yeah, our sport is just incredible
1: paulo this has been amazing what a great conversation we've had with you I've really enjoyed hearing your story and especially all the success i know there has been a lot of ups and downs uh, just like in tennis but you've overcome those challenges you've risen to the occasion and, and done such a great job i'm looking forward to getting out on the court and hitting with you right now so that's going to be a lot of fun thank you so much for your time
0: You're so welcome. It was great being here. It was great meeting you guys. And uh, I'm super excited about this new podcast. I'll be listening to it all the
1: time. Thank you.
2: Fantastic. Thanks.
1: And now it's time for fan favorites. We asked a few passionate friends to share news about their favorite players. Valerie, how did you like our fan favorites last time?
2: I loved it. I particularly loved hearing about my favorite player, uh, Roger Federer. She did a fantastic job giving thorough update on what's going on with him. And, you know, being American, I'm a sucker for an Australian accent, so... That was fantastic. Fiona
1: does have an awesome accent, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) Yes, I could listen to her talk about Roger all day long.
1: I thought Serena was your favorite player.
2: Serena's my favorite female player, and she's American, so she's got that double whammy of I gotta support her.
1: Yeah, well, I'll give you that. That's great.
2: (laughs) But everybody knows, you know, Roger's just the most beautiful player that tennis has ever seen.
1: And I loved hearing from Tanya about Djokovic. I'm, I felt like she was so detailed and so thorough about her report.
2: Yes, that was a great report. And she got into so many things that, you know, I'm a big tennis fan and I, I watch every platform, I read every article. And she had really good in-depth knowledge that things that I hadn't heard about.
1: Yeah, she's definitely hashtag Nole fam.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't know that he did a vegan kick and added fish back in. Added fish back you in. Know? Yeah, so, these are the things that I need to know about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you wonder why he's winning again. <laughs> and boy, I don't know.
2: It all sounds a bit fishy to me. So. Oh. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. On that note.
1: Yeah, there are so many other players, Valerie, that we should be covering. I mean, next-gen players that are coming up. Hyun Chung from Korea. Wow. I mean, he won the next-gen tournaments. Yes. And he beat Djokovic at the Australian Open. What a run.
2: That was a great match. I mean, he really showcased... The future of tennis right there.
1: So we're looking for you to become reporters for your favorite players. So please reach out to us. We would love to feature you and feature the news of your favorite player as well. So let's welcome back Fiona, Tanya, and Valerie with their fan favorite reports.
3: Hi, everyone. This is Fiona from Australia, and I'm here with the Roger Federer fan report. So... We're coming off of the back of the US Open, so I'll just talk about how Roger did there. As as we know, going into the US Open, he had a pretty tough draw. He was projected to play Djokovic in the quarters. But in the first week, he came through against Nishioka and Pear, both in straight sets, and they were both pretty unassuming matches, so good signs to start. And then in the third round, he was up against Kyrgios, and the two have actually never completed a match without playing a tiebreak, but this was an exception to the rule. I guess and um, Roger defeated Kyrgios in straight sets 6-4, 6-1, 7-5 and it was a good match all of his weapons seemed to be working for him on the day and he was even converting break points when necessary and another huge thing that happened in that match was that big around the net shot that Roger picked up off the ground after Kyrgios hit a drop shot yeah so Roger went around the net to hit a winner and it was awesome it was definitely the shot of the tournament by far for me and I think a lot of fans who don't really watch a lot of tennis might not have been aware that that kind of thing was legal in tennis and then roger just introduced it to them in the most spectacular way um we went on to the fourth round Uh, roger faced John Milman from Australia so I think he was definitely a big favorite going into the match there was nothing too much to stress about there then things kind of changed during the match I guess in the first set still it was no signs of disarray but then I think Roger started looking a bit lethargic especially on serve and then he dropped the second set to Milman. as the match went on there weren't too many signs of improvement um Roger's return of serve was falling by the wayside and the unforced errors were kind of Piling up. And then also, the conditions on Arthur Ashe were a bit unusual. Both players were dripping with sweat, and in Roger's case, that's especially unusual. But I think it was to do with the lack of airflow in the stadium after they put the new roof on. But as you know, like the conditions are something that both players face when they're on court, so it's not an excuse. And Millman was the one who played through them on the day. Yeah, w- Roger lost in the fourth round of the US Open, and it was the sixth time in his career. Korea where he didn't get through the quarters. It wasn't great as a fantasy that kind of thing but as you know the losses are always something that we have to deal with and I think it kind of makes you realize that it's just a good opportunity to see him play especially after 20 years on tour we can't always be wanting victories and wishing for victories but especially on the big stage like at a slam it's always going to hurt to see a loss but now we have to look forward we look forward to the rest of the season and There's still a lot of great things to come and especially coming up next week, there's a little bit of fun with the Lever Cup. It's a good way to kind of calm down after the last slam of the year. So Roger will be playing in Team Europe with um, Djokovic, Zverev, Dimitrov, Goffin and Edmund. So let's hope it's a great weekend, more memorable moments for Roger. Yeah, let's enjoy the rest of the season. So thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Hi, this is Tanya from
4: Republic of Srpska with your Novak Djokovic report. Serbian greatest sportman Novak Djokovic did what nobody has ever done in the history of tennis. He wrote history by becoming the first player to win all nine Masters 1000 tournaments with victory in Cincinnati. But stopping there wasn't even in the deepest part of his mind and heart. He came to New York full of confidence and ready to beat every opponent on his way. He fought against humans, but also against terrible heat. He beat them all. The last one who was standing in his way was Novak's great friend Juan Martin Del Potro, and he defeated him too. This Djokovic's victory drew him level with his idol legendary American Pete Sampras on 14 Grand Slam titles. I want to say, Pete, I love you. You are my idol," said Djokovicos Sampras to the support of the loved ones, my kids, my wife, my small team of people that has been there with me through a difficult time as well," added the Serb at the winning ceremony. This match was also a true example that friendship is possible at the professional level. At the winning ceremony, they told each other words full of support and proved that their bromance is stronger than ever. He knows that he's one of my friends on tour and one player I want to watch winning titles. Of course, I'm sad because I lost, but I'm happy for Novak, Del Potro said with tears in his eyes. The Serb is now three Grand Slams titles away from Nadal and six from Federer. And speaking to reporters, Djokovic repeated once again that matches against them have made him the player he is today and that he had to beat them in order to be the number one to win slams and have the career that he has behind him. At the beginning of the career, I probably wasn't seeing things that I'm seeing them now in terms of being in an era with these guys, Novak admits. Now I'm grateful that I was, that I still am in the era with these guys, that I get a chance to witness their greatness as well their rivalry. Many doubted that Djokovic will come back to the top level, but his return is no surprise to former coach andrei Agassi. He has the fight and he has the heart and it seems like it is directed at one thing. It is good to see him at the top, tennis is better off for it. The rest of the season looks bright for Novak because he has no points to defend until the end of the year and he is secretly hoping that he could reclaim number one spot soon. The number one spot is always the goal. It doesn't depend only on me, of course, it depends on the other players. The fact that I have no points to defend until the end of the season is definitely encouraging. The next challenge for Djokovic will be Lever Cup and he will play alongside Federer, Dimitro, Goffin, Zverev and Edmond for Team Europe. Matches will be played on September 21st to 23rd in Chicago. That was everything from me for now. I hope you enjoyed it and I can't wait to bring you
2: more news about Djokovic. Hi everyone, this is Valerie from Southern California with your fan-fave report on Serena Williams. And boys, there are a lot to talk about recently. So, a couple of weeks ago, the French Tennis Federation president banned Serena's cat suit in the French Open, saying you must respect the game and the place. Serena was asked about it in her press conference before the US Open, and she said, "'We already talked, we have a great relationship, "'and everything is fine, guys, "'but I like Nike's response best. "'You can take the superhero out of her costume, "'but you can never take away her superpowers.'" Let's get to the US Open. Has anyone heard anything? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably already had some kind of inkling of what transpired. But just in case, for those who missed it, here's a little recap. The first issue came when the chair umpire noticed Serena's coach giving her hand signals, and he issued a warning for coaching. Serena was not very happy about this, but she went to the chair umpire to plead her case, stating that she doesn't cheat to win, that she'd rather lose. And even though it did seem to me that Serena didn't even notice the coach's hand signals, still within the accordance of the rules, she had to be issued this warning. So it seemed like Serena was just starting to play a little bit better when she broke Osaka early in the second set, but then she dropped her following service game and smashed her racket up, which then led to a second code violation for racket abuse, which requires a point penalty. This did not sit well with Serena, and she went on during the changeover demanding an apology from Ramos, stating that he stole a point from her and that he was a thief. He then issued a third code violation for verbal abuse, and that, my friends, is a game penalty. Serena then called out the tournament referee and supervisor. She was quite emotional, and she shared with them her thoughts that it wasn't fair, expressing that she knew they couldn't change it, but she just wanted to make sure they knew how unfairly she was being treated. And anyone who has followed her career and knows what happens and happened in 2004 and 2009 knows that there's a little bit of history there. So, Serena was not able to make a comeback, um, and she did fall to Osaka 6-2, 6-4. And although she was quite worked up about the violations, once the match was over and it came time to shake hands, she was all class and she showed why she's respected by so many. In her on-court interview, she dodged the questions and just stated a congratulatory statement to her opponent on a well-deserved title, and she asked the booing fans to look at the positive and show their love for Osaka's moment. Since the final, the tournament's referee's office fined Serena $17,000. But I don't think this is too upsetting. I've seen Serena's already back on Instagram posting videos of Olympia's new shiny shoes. Also, be sure to go check out Serena's awesome new Nike commercial showing video clips of her training with her father Richard when she was young girl and flashing forward to her playing amazing points at the U.S. Open as an adult. It's edited really well. It's just a great ad. And thank you so much for listening, guys. Keep tuning in to hear more updates on what is going on with our great champions' return to tennis. And let's all keep in mind that this is only Serena's eighth tournament since her return to the tour after giving birth to her first child. So we're really excited to see what's to come for the remainder of the year and the 2019 season.
5: Hi, everyone. This is Christine, recording from Budapest, Hungary. Uh, Today is a sad day for most Rafa fans because we witnessed him having to retire yesterday in a semifinal match with Juan Martin Del Patro. Rafa played two sets and then he said the pain was just too much for him to continue playing. He said in his press conference that he hated to retire, but he said the pain was just too much for him to bear and to continue playing because he said that it was really not like a tennis match if he stood over on the other side in one place and the other person hit the balls everywhere. So I think everybody understood that Rafa wouldn't have retired if he hadn't been in a lot of pain. He also said in his press conference that he didn't know how long it would take to heal. He said he's had this type of injury he had a scare I think it was in the third round against Kachanov the Russian he played in the third round that really was giving him a beating for a while Rafa had his knee taped the rest of us Rafa fans were pretty scared about his knee but then Carlos Moya said it was really nothing to be worried about because his knee is always sore then he had the five set thriller against Dominique Team in the quarterfinals that Rafa won seven six in the fifth set started out pretty well Rafa started serving and del patro broke his serve the first game of the match then rafa broke right back after rafa sorry lost the first set it just didn't seem like he was himself he didn't have that fighting spirit and later he said in his press conference that at about two all in the first set is when he started feeling some pain in his knee i guess more than usual because he always feels some soreness he said in his knees or that one knee that always bothers him. Obviously he will be out for Davis Cup, which is also kind of sad. I had actually thought of going to France because Spain will play France in Lille, France, and I had thought about going there to watch Rafa play because I I live in Europe. I guess I probably won't now. I've just seen reports that what he has is a small lesion in the patellar tendon. His doctor apparently told him to rest for one month. He might miss the entire Asian swing. He'll definitely probably be out for the China Open, which starts on October 1st. Hopefully he gets better soon and can play again, especially in the World Tour Finals. He did say in his press conference that this was the kind of injury that you never know how long it's going to take to get back and you have to decide whether you're going to play at 70% or 100% or you're going to play with some pain or a lot of pain. So I guess he's going to see some more doctors and see how it goes and hopefully he'll be back by the end of the year and definitely completely better by next year. Take care everybody. Bye-bye.
6: Hello everyone, my name is Peter, and I'm a huge fan of Andy Murray. I'm here to bring you a recap of Andy's summer and his upcoming schedule. After missing Wimbledon, Andy Murray was slated to come back to tennis for the U.S. Open Hardcourt Series in Washington at the City Open. In the first round, he beat the American sensation Mackenzie McDonald, 366475. This set up the second meeting of this year for fellow Brit Kyle Edmund and Andy as they played earlier on grass in Eastbourne when Britain's new number one beat Andy 6-4-6-4. This time, however, Andy was the victor, beating Kyle 7-6-1-6-6-4. The big hitting Romanian, Marius Copil was up next on August 2nd. I was up all night for this match, as it lasted 3 hours and 2 minutes, ending with Andy winning at 3.01 in the morning on my birthday, August 3rd. It was a joyous birthday present for me, and I was so happy he got through it. This was an incredibly emotional match for all Andy Murray fans, as we could feel the emotions he was going through. He was sobbing into his towel after the completion of this epic match. We all knew how much work he put in to get this win after rehabbing for so long. On Instagram, he posted a picture of his handshake with Maris Coppola at the net and him crying into his towel. He captioned it with boring, miserable no personality big heart though the late night wear and tear took a toll on him so he felt he had to withdraw from the city open he stated in his withdrawal i'm exhausted after playing so much over the last four days having not competed on the hard courts for 18 months i also need to be careful and to listen to my body as i come back from a long-term injury i'm gutted not to be playing and i'd like to thank the tournament and all the fans There are a lot of positives to take from this week, so I'll take some time to rest and recover, and then head to Cincinnati early to prepare and get ready. At the Cincinnati Open, he looked good in practice. He was just moving a little slow to his left. I was at his first round match, rooting him on. Luca Pui was seeded 16th, and is in the top 20, so this was a tough opponent for his first round. Luka Pui beat Andy 6-1, 1-6, 6-4. This match in the third got a lot closer to what Andy can do. In Andy's comeback to a major at the U.S. Open, he faced James Duckworth of Australia in the first round. He beat him in four sets, 6-7, 6-3, 7-5, 6-3, in 3 hours and 17 minutes. In a match that lasted 3 hours and 23 minutes, Andy Murray played very well on his first time back at Arthur Ashe Stadium in the second round against Fernando Verdasco. He was beaten in 4 sets with a score of 5-7, 6-2, 4-6, 4-6, which was much tighter than the score might suggest. Andy Murray is scheduled as of now to play Shenzhen on September 24th, followed by Beijing. Andy has had great success in Asia and the fall hard courts, and we are so hopeful for his improved form. This has been your court report for Andy Murray.
2: Our tennis giveaway this episode is extra special. We are giving away a free set of natural gut tennis strings thanks to our friend Kevin at Natural Gut Wholesale. Just be the first person to sign up for the Tennis Pal app and use the promo code PODCAST in all capital letters when you're registering for the app. You can visit www.tennispalapp.com to download and join the tennis community. Let's congratulate our listener, Ryan Atkins, who was the winner from last episode. Thanks for listening, Ryan.
1: I just want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I mean, I just can't believe that we actually have people listening to us, Valerie. Isn't that great? It's, it's insane. Thought? We're just crazy, passionate tennis lovers, not lovers like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> is he Wait, joking? Why is that so funny? <laughs> You guys
2: may never know. Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> but we do love tennis, that's for sure. That's our show for this episode. Our next episode covers my trip to Sweden and playing out of the country for the first time, as well as a great conversation with Swedish tennis nerd Johannes Eriksson. Many thanks to Coach Paolo Hexo for his stories. You can find his website and contact info for all of our fan-fave reporters in the show notes. Thanks, fan-fave reporters. You guys are awesome. Show notes are located on lovesetmatch.net as well as on the Tennis Pal blog at tennispalapp.com. Special thanks to Hale and the whole team at Tennis Pal app for sponsoring this show. Thanks, guys, for listening, and thanks so much for your support.